0: You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, It's actually sometimes the church readings, the calendar, works out better than like any brilliant church planning ministry person could have worked it out. And it kind of did that today. When it does that, I I kind of revel in it. I love it um, that the church throughout the world is glorying in these passages today as we celebrate our mothers. So happy Mother's Day to you and get ready because this is like just for us. One of the supernatural, I think, powers that moms have... In any situation that I really appreciate is being able to have whatever it is that the family needs or at least being able to figure it out in any situation. If you've known a mother, you know that like that purse is like a Mary Poppins purse and there's just no end to it. There's just stuff that comes out of there that just meets our needs whenever... We need it. And this, this mothering, kind of like a, a hen with her chicks, it creates this kind of force field if you're around mom. Or sometimes when you're away from mom, you come home and she like takes you out for lunch or something, buys you stuff you don't have to buy stuff, or you smell her cooking and there's this like, oh, this rest. Oh, things are right. Things are at peace. Moms create this force field around them that we don't even notice until we move away or we come back after a little while. And everyone just assumes like if mom's around, she'll take care of it, amen. (laughs) Amen. So we get to enjoy this unknowingly oftentimes, we get to enjoy this rest around moms. There's a safety that we enjoy there. I remember moving out uh, myself for college and after the excitement of being on my own and moving out and having my own life and all this freedom, all that kind of settled in, I realized, Oh, now what? Like, what am I going to (laughs) eat? I didn't know how to cook anything. I mean, I like had a steady diet of Dr. Pepper, I think, through most of my undergraduate, but that was awful. Um, I don't drink Dr. Pepper anymore because I I had too much of that. But I I remember this sinking feeling like, well, this is going to be awful, my life without my mom. What am I going to do? Not entirely. I figured it out. Figured out a bunch without my mom. But in very small ways, um, that question, well, what now? What are we going to do now that we're out of the physical presence of this one who tended to us for so long? That's the question that we find in our readings, especially in the book of Acts this morning. The disciples in this post-resurrection season, this period, they, they, they lived with Jesus and now he's not present. He appeared to many of them, but then he would disappear again and now he's not around. And so the disciples are left wondering, now what? That he's not here. And they... I imagine, have that sinking feeling like the force field is gone. Whose voice can we turn to when we're totally lost? Who's gonna give us that sense of rest and peace now that physically Jesus isn't present with us the way we had him in person for so long? What's next? So we might hear the disciples saying this and go, y'all, get over it. We live this life every day. Like, this is normal. What do we do without Jesus physically present? Yeah, welcome to our world. Being a Christian without Jesus right here in the same way that he was with the disciples, we've been asking this question, what next? And was it even ever really true? We have all these weighty questions that we've been living in this post-resurrection season of life, this period of the world history. But all of that presence that Jesus had with them before, it was training them, and even the presence that we come and receive every week, it trains us in a very special way to be able to to answer one really important question. And it's a question, I just wanna spend a little bit of time this morning with us considering, I think it's an important question. The question is this, to whom does salvation belong? Now what that Jesus is gone, where do we go? To be saved, to be rescued, to be safe, to be fed, to be guided. And even for us in our lives as Christians, with everything vying for our attention, saying this will save you, that will save you. We're left with the same question as the disciples, to whom does salvation actually belong though? We don't think of salvation like that, right? I don't naturally think of salvation as something that someone owns or someone possesses, but it it actually does come from somewhere. Someone does rescue, right? It's not just like in our hearts a sentimental salvation, but someone has actually secured a rescue. Someone has to actually get the job done, right? It's like if someone was stranded at sea and cried, you know, for help, mayday, mayday, and we sent like emotional paratroopers to go get them. There wouldn't actually be a rescue. Someone actually has to go the rescue belongs to someone and it's being sent with someone and in our case someone has actually secured that salvation so all the more this is a central question we look for salvation everywhere in the world in ourselves i'll take care of this i got this i'm all i need And other people, if I could just have, if they would just show an interest in me and we could be happy together, I would find a saving life there. I would be rescued from my loneliness, from my lack of purpose or that aching in my heart. And money, if I could just get that raise, then I'd be happy. I'd have salvation. Power, if people would just respect my reputation and they would do what I say, things would be fine. Salvation would come. Being right in an argument or winning all the culture wars or any wars that present themselves to us, if they would just realize that they need to be woke in this way, we'd all be okay. Salvation would be at hand. Or, hey, if I could just have personal freedom to do whatever the heck I wanna do, that would be salvation. These are like commonplace, right? We hit these every single day. But the thing is, and we know this in our heads, it's so much different in our hearts, right? that salvation actually doesn't belong to any of those things. You can chase it down, you can pull after it, but what you'll find is a dead end. And not only is it a dead end in those things, but pursuing those things to save us will actually brutalize us. It brutalizes humanity. If you look at what all of these things, which aren't necessarily awful things in and of themselves, but when people use them and pervert them as idols to bring them salvation, it ends up, brutalizing humanity and brutalizing ourselves so if we can understand the one to whom salvation actually belongs you could see why this is a really critical question in our everyday lives and we can pursue salvation with the one to whom it belongs we can learn to trust that one's leading to listen for that voice and to learn to live satisfied and fearless lives in their care because salvation is secured and belongs to this one. You could see how that's like a real fundamental and guiding question, right? Even for our everyday lives. Well, in Revelation 7, we see an image of the end of time. John's like crazy image, this incredible vision that John has. It takes us to this moment and the end of the age of those who suffered. You, we heard this resisting the salvation of the world, crying out in verse 10, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. We get the answer already. The hustle of, for instance, consumerism and lust haven't hollowed out the insides of these people. Rather, in verse 16, it says, they actually, they hunger no more. And they thirst no more. How? Because they have found salvation at its source. And they've come in contact with the source of salvation and said, salvation belongs to our God. There's, there's no other place we need to look to be satisfied. And the lamb is at the center of the throne. And the lamb, and at the same time, he is also our shepherd, the one who guides and speaks to us. He leads us to springs of living water, like the Psalm 23 we just sang a second ago. We chanted. This rings throughout Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't don't have to live in a state of constant desire and want and lust. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. He knows my needs. I could take a super deep breath and chill. Oh, salvation belongs to this shepherd who leads me. I can... Not, I cannot need something from other people, not need to squeeze something out of other people or manipulate or coerce others. I can actually be at rest in myself because they're not my shepherd. And none of these other things in life are my shepherd, but the Lord is my shepherd, so I don't have to live in a state of constant desire and want. I can be at rest with him. Oh, that's such... You can even... I mean, okay, I'm talking about this, but imagine that in your body how that feels, to live at rest, at peace... I think one of the reasons God gives us mothers is to give us a little bit of an icon, like a sacrament of what it's like to be in his presence. Oh, that's nice. What rest? What a satisfaction. What safety? Friends, Christians are offered a life that is resourced, that is completely funded and fueled and satisfied by this one to whom salvation belongs. We can actually live this way in real life. This is what it means to be a Christian, to be nourished by God's goodness forever, and that to be enough. Even in the middle of chaos and harm, this shepherd doesn't freak out and panic and pace around going, okay, what's plan B, because I don't, I don't know about this threat. No, he throws out a picnic blanket while hell is trampling us over, or trying to at least, This shepherd throws out a picnic blanket in the middle of a green pasture. He lays out a meal of our favorite foods. Even with evil hordes surrounding us and encroaching, he's under no threat. He's not stressed out. He's not threatened whatsoever. Because it's as if salvation belongs to him. Not even defeating his enemies, but he actually possesses it already. And so in the middle of chaos, he throws out a picnic blanket and says, you know, let's sit down and have a meal. Wow. Wow. And guess what? Not only does salvation belong to this one who throws out a picnic blanket, but you belong to him. You belong to this one. He doesn't have to yell at you if you have this picture of God being this, like, super pissed off, angry father or something. That's not God. In fact, we hear in Scripture, he doesn't have to raise his voice because his sheep know his voice. So he can speak kindly, tenderly. He can whisper to you, and you'll recognize his voice and he'll guide you and you know what you don't have to like go out and make something on your of your life or accomplish something to be of worth to the shepherd but actually you can kind of just like wander around with him in the pasture wasting your life so to speak just being with him because that's actually no waste at all but it is the goodness of life the thing we're looking for and so we like sheep can be kind of dumb and just stay near him wander around listen for his voice and of all the threats that surround us, you know what is uh, what can happen to you under his care? You know who can take you away from his care? Nobody. Nothing can snatch you out of the shepherd's care. Hmm. That's an image that I, I long to live into as a Christian. I really, I see that and I'm like, I want to do that. Um, the, the reality of my life, feels like I can best understand that image by understanding what, it, what it's not. Um, and what immediately comes to mind when I read this image is me in the airport with my children, in any chaotic, like Costco or you name it, right? It's just like where there's a zillion things going on and I've got a zillion children and my wife and I are there and you ask her, it's like the worst thing of my life to travel with my kids. I um, mean, there's like a, tw- it's awful. There's this 20 foot radius, it's not that funny. It's the truth. Trust me trust me in the moment it is not funny at all but there's this 20 foot radius about okay and that's pretty generous of a space that i can police that i have like i have like a realm you know where i can like protect my kids anything beyond that braylon you're on your own okay you're a good kid but like you need to stay close 20 feet or less Um, that's my range my wife's range on the other hand she has like Uh, like uh, an ear exploding riot whistle with her like fingers. I don't know how she does it, but anything like there was like 15 girls at our house the other day for a birthday party and they're all being girls. And my wife just like, you know, ignites this riot whistle and everyone kind of shivers and listens and pays attention. So that's helpful, it's super effective, it's awful, but it's effective. And our kids um, in the meantime are, are running around and asking like 156 questions about, can I have this or can I have a snack? Can I have another snack? Can I go to the bathroom at the most inopportune moment of anything that we're trying to do? Like when we're trying to board the plane, I need, a, I need to go to the bathroom or something. It's exhausting tending to sheep, to, to sheep like this, to feeding them, making them feel like satisfied. Would you just sit down and relax? Have a screen, you know, like we have to pull out all the stops just to get them to dial it down and just chill and be satisfied. And that only works for about eight seconds, and then we have to start it all over again. That is the total opposite of this image that we see in the scriptures in Revelation and in Psalm 23. And even these words that Jesus speaks in John chapter 10, it's it's the description of a different kind of life that we're invited into. Salvation belongs to Jesus, and his kingdom is that radius of his care. That 20-foot thing of mine, well, the kingdom of God has no boundary, has no end. It's the space and realm in which his will is being executed and completed, and and it's comprehensive. There's nothing that stands outside of it. His oversight has no end. There's not a detail he doesn't see. And His voice, it carries like a whisper to anyone, anywhere. His sheep know his voice. He's never overpowered or threatened, but he has this like force filled that he gathers up his sheep within. Even when intruders in our lives try to sneak over the wall, right, and and get into the church, oh my gosh, like these, these wolves climbing over the fences. Even when weird people or broken people or super like messed up, mean, angry, like awful people, Which should just—I mean—that covers about all of us, right here in the room. Even when they're get into the church, Jesus isn't—he doesn't panic. He doesn't—he's not threatened. Like, oh great, look at these crazy people among my sheep. But he calls them into obedience. He speaks to them tenderly and draws them to himself. Healing. The shepherd is in power. He's attentive to all of our needs, all of our wounds, all of our problems, and he is present and able to heal us. And all we have to do under his care is to believe. Yep, that's my shepherd. Salvation belongs to him. This is the good life right here nowhere else. That's what our invitation is in his care. So, for instance, um, our reading from Acts this morning is about this, this uh well, kind of nobody seamstress. This woman who makes clothes, I'm sure it seems like they're beautiful clothes because Peter comes and, and the first thing they do is show Peter the garments that she's made. Her name's Tabitha, Greek and Dorcas. I would stick with Tabitha, but you know, whatever. It's from the book of Acts, right? We just read this. And she, was, she wasn't as famous as Peter. She wasn't one of the, the famous apostles. She made clothing. She was, just, she was just a regular disciple, someone who was in the care of the good shepherd, She didn't need to go out and change the world or or make a name for herself or like show something of her life. Why? Because somehow she knew that the world had already changed by Easter, by the resurrection of Jesus. She believed in the risen Christ. So what did she do? Was it something flashy? Was it something sexy? Was it something like really public facing? No, she was energized by the resurrection of Christ who was her good shepherd to whom salvation belongs. She was so energized by him in his care that she went back to her craft, making clothes and in service to others, so much so that she was known for how amazing and imaginative, I'm sure, how beautiful and how selfless her life was spent for the life of others. And when she died, the, the Lord, through Peter, spoke to her, get up, and she was raised. Now, what's super strange about this is, again, she's not some, like, famous emperor or something, but she's a seamstress in some coastal city that's kind of known in the community for being, like, a really nice woman, a skilled woman. And it was a big deal there. And people came to believe in Jesus because she was raised. But her life, I'm sure, even after her resurrection, even after her being raised from the dead, you know what she probably did? Went back to making clothes, serving others the way that she had, telling others about this amazing thing God did in her life. She probably went back to the same work, glowing all the more that her good shepherd had raised her from the dead, just as she knew she, that he would. Her life shows us, friends, um, what life looks like in this resurrection time. What life looks like that's convinced that salvation belongs to Jesus and that when we're in his care, not even death itself can stand in the way of his will in our lives. So friends, you can carry on. You can carry on the lives you actually have. You don't have to have some sort of like super Christian life all of a sudden, right? You can carry on with the life that you have. But this time, not under the pressure that you have to make a name for yourself, or you have to prove yourself, or you have to demonstrate super, something super awesome about who you are. No. Just get rid of all of that for a second and carry on in your life, knowing that salvation doesn't belong in any of those things, but it's already been secured for you. So carry on in the thing that you're doing and do it now under the glory of the Lord. Take a deep breath and rest Enjoy the thing that you have, the life that God's given you, the craft, the work that you have in your hands. It all matters to him. There's no small work in the kingdom of God. There's no insignificant person in the kingdom of God. You don't have to have a college degree or make a certain amount of money. But God sees you. You could be a Tabitha somewhere. And yet God sees you and comes to you and raises you from the dead. And her life is energized by his resurrection. You don't have to listen to all those voices, that tell you what you need to do next to be more valuable to yourself or to God. You don't have to listen to that. All you have to do is believe and listen to the voice of the good shepherd. And if you need practice, and I know, I mean, I do, um, and you wanna know what this life looks like, um, there are Tabithas all over this church. They're everywhere. We have like an influx of Tabithas. Our church is filled with them. They roast our coffee that we enjoy. They wash our altar linens. They prepare our slides that we read the lyrics of songs from. They give their money, not out of like some sort of weird religious, like, I guess I got to do, but out of joy, they give their money. They write our music. They spend hours when no one's watching, thinking creatively and writing music. And that's significant to the Lord. They teach our children. Even now, I'm preaching about the people who are serving in these kids' classes, who are teaching some of your kids about the good shepherd. These are those Tabithas. They're taking your order. Sometimes outside the church, let's think outside of Sunday, they're the ones behind the register taking your order that maybe sometimes we get frustrated with. Careful. These are Tabithas. They come and wipe your table. You may not even notice them. One of the most beautiful things you can do is to say, I see you. Thank you for wiping my table. How amazing. They care for their staff. They run big companies. Not for the bottom line, but They see the humanity in their business. They make art. They're the ones carefully keeping a prayer list for other people, the needs of others. They're the ones who invite you into their homes, even when it may be like inconvenient and a little bit of work. These are Tabithas. And these folks are the quiet heartbeat of God's resurrection people. If you wanna learn how to live in the light of the resurrection, look at a Tabitha and follow them, mimic them. Their lives know where salvation belongs. And so their hidden skill and service that maybe most don't see, that when we receive it, we receive this mysterious glow of the resurrection of Jesus. That Easter glow enters into our lives. That's how we see it. Friends, this morning, may we reconsider the one to whom salvation truly belongs and turn our lives toward this good shepherd, and take off all the weight and expectation of the world that it has for us and actually live in this restful, peaceful, joyful place in which salvation belongs to our Heavenly Father and He's granting it to us so we can carry on with joy and creativity, enjoying the presence and the goodness of God. And with His help, may we actually live lives in Him and through Him and by Him just as He would call us to live. Amen? Amen. Let's take a moment. And I want you to ask the Lord to speak to you about those ways that you can respond to his invitation to come close, hear his voice, and be energized by his resurrection. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.